When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, west to west, and whatever the hell is going on in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsuck for a Comic-Con weekend edition, which means, oh, I pre-taped this a little bit ago, a couple days ago. So... If you're down at Comic-Con right now, uh, maybe you you are or got to or uh, heard about the Game of Thrones panel. It, we'll probably have uh, some insights, some revelations, some highlights, and we'll talk about that in future episodes of Casterly Talk. So, uh, at the time of at the time I'm speaking right now, I, I don't have uh, I don't have Bran with me to look into the future. So maybe something cool came out. Maybe we got a, a prequel tidbit. Maybe we got none of that. But if something did, did happen, don't worry. We'll talk later on on Castle Talk. Right now, though, we're going to have a lot of fun uh, listening to your thoughts, your questions, and your what-ifs. A couple episodes ago, we put out a call for what-if scenarios. This is a fun thing to do in a lot of fandoms. What if? What if this? What if that? What if this? Um, Game of Thrones, though, particularly the show, because it's so vibrant and... Yeah, I'll say it's simply like simplified, a simplified version of what George R. R. Martin put out there. You can see things more clearly, and then you can ask, what if? And it's just fun. I think with Game of Thrones, I think it's more fun than any of the other fandoms I'm a part of, the big what ifs. So we got some what ifs. We got some some uh, exciting uh, ideas, uh, things I hadn't thought about. And um, we got a, a first one that's going to start us off here with the friend of the show, uh, Kevin Ross. He has a uh, podcast called Three Cocktail Questions here on Anchor. You could find it. Uh, and, and as the show suggests, Kevin likes to pour himself maybe a nice drink, take a sip, and just start talking. And, and he's always got some stuff that makes me think. I don't always necessarily agree with it. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I go, ah, I don't know. Maybe that's too too much, too complicated, too layered, but I'm always thinking about things he suggests. So that's going to start us off here right now. We're going to dive right into some what-if scenarios here on Casterly Talk. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Um, Okay, I'll start the what-if series. What if Joffrey had not been poisoned at the Purple Wedding? Uh, We have always subscribed over here that uh, the uh, Littlefinger gold debt plot was real, but most of those fan theories out there never take into consideration that Tywin Lannister would have had to have allowed it to happen. Do we honestly believe that he is not going to track the Master of Coins expenditures or the Iron Bank walking up to him and letting him know how much is happening and how much is actually being spent? No. Uh, Tywin was always allowing Littlefinger uh, by proxy to in, uh, in debt the North, but that's why he was sending him to Harrenhal uh, in the story. Ultimately, we believe Tywin was going to have Littlefinger, as the Lord of Harrenhal, tax the North, uh, forcing the North to be extremely upset with Littlefinger, and then either uh, um, Tyrion or Jaime to take over Harrenhal uh, to be able to make this happen. Uh, Why? 
Now, Kevin, uh, you're asking yourselves, why would uh, Taiwan Web want this to happen? Well, he'd do it for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's so that uh, he could, um, uh, and of course, have a proxy to indebt all of the North to himself. Two, uh, cut the entire country of Westeros in half uh, through Harrenhal and the Reach. Three, uh, control all sea trade and destroy the pirates of the Iron Islands. Four, eventually take out Littlefinger and instill one of his family members, uh, possibly his great-grandson, when Joffrey gets around to having one, over in Herringhall. Now the Lannisters control from the Reach all the way south. This is why Tywin Lannister allowed the gold plot to take place and allowed it to happen. And this is what Littlefinger suspected, ultimately why he poisoned Joffrey. But this is what we think over here would have happened if Joffrey would would not have been poisoned at the Purple Wedding. Thank you. All right, Kevin Ross calling in. And yeah, you're right. Uh, that's two calls. Uh, I, I cheated a little bit. I'll let Kevin have a, have a two-pointer a two uh, there. So this is some big stuff here. This is what I love taking these calls uh, from Kevin because they, they, they make me think uh, and, and they also make me dizzy all at the same time. Wink, you know I love you, Kevin. I do like this idea, though. All right, so the big question is what if Joffrey hadn't been poisoned? I... I think that affects a lot the Tyrells. The Tyrells, clearly, not just a part of it. They wanted this. They needed this. Uh, they did not want Marjorie Tyrell. And again, we're focusing mostly on HBO's Game of Thrones here. Not a song of ice and fire. That can get even more wonderfully complicated. Um, they did not want Marjorie to marry him. I mean, I mean, excuse me, take it back. They wanted him to marry, but maybe not to stay with Joffrey. So uh, if if... The plot fails or the plot doesn't happen. What do the Tyrells do is a question, uh, a what if that I don't necessarily have the answer now here, but we're focusing on this. Um, the idea that Baelish is always working in the shadows and that they are in debt and then he's been running up the debt uh, and, and Tywin is aware of it. I love this idea that Tywin is more aware than people would give him credit for. May, is he more aware than Baelish would give him credit for? Well, that's Baelish's skills, right? Up until his fatal mistakes at the end, he was always anticipating and always uh, aware. Tywin is a tough egg to crack. I do like the idea of getting Baelish to the north for a lot of reasons. My favorite of uh, what's gone up there. Let's just say Joffrey's still the king, but Baelish is up in Harrenhal. Uh, there's debt. The Iron Bank's getting upset. If the north and all the northern houses get upset at Baelish, I do believe Tywin Lannister considered him valuable, but also a possible threat. Just like that deleted scene, and it's deleted, so I guess does it count in the canon of the show? I think so. Um, it doesn't affect things much, but the deleted scene of Tywin fishing, talking to Grand Maester Pycelle, and he's the only one who's like, I know you're acting, Pycelle. Stand up straight. Basically telling him, I- I'm aware of all this. I think Tywin... I think Tywin, it's fun to think that Tywin's more aware of these things. I even think there's a part of me. I don't believe in season two that he truly is convinced that that's Arya Stark. But we know he he knows she's something she's not, at least not saying. And and I love playing with that idea that, that maybe even Tywin... Uh, you know, again, I, if he if he knew it, Ned Stark's daughter, he wouldn't just let her go. He wouldn't. He he would have. He'd be using her as 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 bait, and 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 Tywin's smart enough to do that. He's no compassion uh, or, or empathy for this young girl would would erase his desires to win this whole thing. So, but I always think he's just a little more aware, and he uses it for what he for what he can and what he needs. And there is a, a, a an idea that a Tywin in my head too that, that Tywin um, 
was using Baelish, but also at some point would have probably liked to get him out there. So it's wonderfully complicated, wonderfully dizzy, but the question of what if Joffrey had not been poisoned? Tyrells don't have as much power. They're more pawns in other people's games. Joffrey, though, would have continued to be a bad king, and my biggest thought of all of this, and there's a lot of stuff with Baelish, the plans, the plots, the poisons, at some point, Tywin Lannister would have had to have dealt with Joffrey. Now, is there a, is there a, a part of me that wonders if Tywin, again, not wonders, not knows or thinks, but wonders, would Tywin ever snuff out a plot to remove Joffrey and be okay with it? No, because he is a Lannister and he protects the house first. See that with Tyrion, even though there's some things with him, you know, they don't have the best relationship, but it comes back to hunt and kill and end Tywin. Uh, it's family first. It's dynasty first, as he, as he would say. So uh, I don't believe he would have allowed it to happen, and he definitely seems upset, but everyone's playing a game there. But at some point, Tywin would have had to have dealt with Joffrey, would have needed to rein him in. He tried to have others do it, and he knew Cersei couldn't. I love that great scene of him. Uh, confronting uh, a Joffrey, telling him about things, and Joffrey saying, don't you think I should know? You are being informed right now. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I'm bad with quotes, but also who doesn't like speaking like Tywin Lannister? So interesting questions. I don't have all the answers. I think this is going to be an open forum discussion. We'll bring in some of the other voices on the show eventually here after Comic-Con, start to get back to normal recording. Uh, but I love it. If you have a thought out there, I want to hear your voice, uh, your calls, and your answer to what if Joffrey hadn't been poisoned? What do you think about a deeper plot going on between uh, Tywin, Baelish, who's using who, and how does it go down? So let's get into some big what-ifs here about Ned. Good old dead Ned. Hey, Ken Casterly talks. So I, you brought it up on the last show. I love the what if questions and there's, there's really a million of them. You could actually have literally like five days of nonstop talking of just what if questions with Game of Thrones. But for me, one of the biggest what if questions I always come back to is what if Ned had lived? What if after he found out the truth about Joffrey and after Robert died, he just got out of Dodge got Sansa, got Arya, and just left and got back to Winterfell. How would that have changed things? Because he, he you know, could have supported who he wanted to, could have supported Stannis. I think it also, Ned Living would have benefited Stannis because a lot of the North would have supported Stannis like Ned did. They would have followed Ned. And there's so many things that would have changed, I think, had Ned had lived. All right, Eric Monroe, our friend Eric Monroe. Uh, thinking of you, Eric. Uh, I know uh, uh, you uh, have been struggling with some stuff lately. Uh, saw that on Twitter, and we here at Catchley Talk sending our love to uh, you, Eric. Eric is a longtime listener of, of this show and Daily Thrones and, and has a great, great mind for uh, the World of Ice and Fire. And it's just a question about, about Ned, Ned living. I, I think there's some things I really took to in what uh, Eric was saying there. It, uh, this is again. This is the fun thing of what ifs, but also you could easily pull the piece out uh, of your what if conversations like a Jenga puzzle, and it all comes collapsing down. And the story has to happen. It happens for the way uh, the reasons it does. Right. So it's hard to sometimes it's hard to imagine uh, a different plot point. I think with Ned living, everything goes as according to plan at, at season end of season one. 
He goes and takes the black, maybe? Is that is that an option? I do believe Cersei felt that was an option. I think Joffrey's the wild card here. Uh, there could be some debate on that. Did she anticipate Joffrey doing it? No, going back to the previous conversation about Tywin, I, I believe Joff, uh, 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 Cersei felt she was controlling her son here. And uh, let's do this. Let's get let Ned up and out of here. You know, she's not thinking of... Um, She's not thinking of, of a coming war of five kings. She's she's concentrating on on getting this hand of the king out and getting someone in there. So I think Joffrey was the wild card through a loop there. Does Ned go on to that? Does he follow through? I think Ned would have done that. He would have gone to the wall because I was told to, and I vowed I you know I'm Ned and I follow through on everything. I'm not going to jump off the wagon and go hide in the forest and and rego north. But if the word had gotten out, and, and if word reaches that Ned Stark, who is now still alive, um, was sent away, uh, and, is, and is not so much, uh, you know, again, do you believe that he is a, tra- a traitor, a treasonous traitor? Do you believe his words? Are you going to accept Stannis as the king because Ned says it's a good idea? And I think that would have been the interesting direction of some of the politics. The North remembers, but can the North get together and agree on something maybe they don't want to agree with? Would Stannis's claim have been more valuable if Ned can do a press tour as he heads up to the wall? It's true. I tells you. It's true. I know I said it wasn't, and I stood, and stood up there in front of the Sept of Baylor, on the Sept of Baylor, in front of the statue of Baylor, and said, uh, uh, sorry, uh, I spoke out of turn there, but now I'm here to tell you. Would Ned have done that? What he thought about protecting his children. What if, what if, what ifs begat more what ifs. But I do love this idea that Renly's claim is it is powerful now. Do a lot of the northern houses that uh, might have, uh, you know, that rallied the Renly, would they have thought better of it if, if Ned is still alive and they believe his words about Stannis or they feel they have to believe his words about Stannis? If Ned had escaped, what if Ned had escaped? Would he have gone back to Winterfell and rallied up there? Would he have gone to Stannis? Does a Stannis and Ned team change people's minds? Then I think it does. If Ned's standing next to Stannis, uh, would Melisandre have 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 uh, allowed that? I think so. But I think Ned would not have allowed Melisandre, much like Davos Seaworth, having problems with a lot of the decisions she was making, a lot of things and she was whispering into Stannis's ears. I don't think Ned would have taken it. At best, he would have grumbled and been very grumpy about it there. So what if Ned lives the War of the Five Kings don't, uh, doesn't necessarily erupt? Uh, Rob Stark, does he stop? Ned lives, goes north, does Rob return home? Yes, I think so. I think so. That was his purpose. He didn't want the Iron Throne, but now he's the king in the north. Does he stop that? Speak to his father and say, Wes, we must rally behind Stannis? I think Ned would ask that. I think Rob would, but would the north then be willing to pull back on their belief? Rob Stark. Does Rob Stark even become King of the North if Ned is still alive? What if, what if, what if, what if, but exciting. It's the biggest plot point. It is the one that really, really flips the story and tanks, takes it in different directions. I think the Tyrion Lannister being captured by Catelyn Stark thing is, it, that. that's the thing to me. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen. 
season one, big things, little small things along the way. Ned finding out the truth, the thinking he's finding out the truth, uh, a lot of those things. Robert Baratheon dying, that's another big what if. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, some other time. But if Catelyn Stark doesn't capture Tyrion, we don't have Jaime Lannister losing the plot. We don't have a lot of uh, those mistakes that follow. Uh, but that is that is the Jenga piece, Jenga puzzle piece of, of the of the whole story. I think Catelyn, which is why in the past I I must admit I think I was under I got apologize to Catelyn Stark. I I was harsh on Catelyn Stark in the past, saying this is all her fault. Grumble, grumble. Put my you know my uh, big. Beer stein on the table with a thump. Brr, this is Catelyn's fault. That's that's not necessarily wrong. Uh, Catelyn made a big mistake, but that's what I love about this series: is these characters make mistakes, and they have consequences. I think if you had sat Catelyn down and said, "Here's what happens if you do this," she would have said, oh, "All right, maybe we're going to do this." She acted out of passion, but she acted out of passion for her family, for her children. Uh, much like Tywin protects his family, she is going to protect hers because someone had to. And it made sense from her point of view. I don't think she intended uh, for a lot of other things uh, with Tyrion uh, to happen up at the Vale. Uh, I, I think, and I love the way, I love the way Michelle Farley plays it. Now, now, now we're uh, off the trail here having a, a different conversation. When, she, when Tyrion says, oh, you haven't seen your sister in a while, all right, good luck with that. You're bringing me to your sister? Okay. And then when 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 Catelyn Stark walks in and, and for the first time just sees what has happened to Liza Aaron, what, what is, what's going on? She's breastfeeding her, her very much of-age child, you know, uh, past the breastfeeding age is what I mean. Um, the look on her face is it's almost from Arrested Development. I made a huge mistake. I think if she had taken uh, Tyrion, again, it makes sense. In the moment, it makes sense. Go to my sister. My sister's the one who wrote this letter. You know, forget the fact that we know her sister was, was lying. Just in that moment. But if, if, if she had returned to Winterfell with Tyrion, might have been a little better. But these are all what-ifs that start out of one what-if, and which is why we like doing it. But we're not done with the what-ifs here. We got a what-if from our friend Billy. Hey, Ken, this is Billy. I'm a longtime listener and quite a frequent caller. I used to call back on the Daily Thrones days, and I can't explain how happy I am that how you reinvented this podcast into what it is today. Now, I've heard you calling for some what-if scenarios, and I think I have the perfect one. At the beginning of a Game of Thrones, instead of King Robert coming to Ned with a job proposal, what if he came with an army because he heard whispers that Ned's son, Jon Snow, was actually the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen? Now, I have my ideas about how this story would unfold, but I'd love to hear what you and everyone else thinks. Thanks. Wow, this is a bombshell. Billy, glad to have you here. Thanks for the kind words about Daily Thrones before this. And now, Casterly Talk. This is a bombshell one. I've never really thought of this one. I've thought of the Ned ones. I've thought of the Joffrey's ones. And and again, uh, you can go many different directions, but I've never really thought. But what if Robert Baratheon who I always wondered, how much did he really believe his own words about the story of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark? Was it just this plausible deniability to himself? Was it just this, like, uh, blind just devotion to his own heart and his own desires, uh, blinding desires that he just didn't want to see the truth uh, or didn't know the truth, just couldn't fathom it? Or did he know on some level? There's obviously a lot of pain 
So does he feel bad about what he did? Does he know he started the war on a lie? Does he have a hunch? I don't know. That I don't know. Robert Rathian's a a fascinating character to me. Because I believe in many ways he is one of the, quote, good guys. But he is obviously not a great king. And he's obviously not a great husband. And definitely not a great father. He, like a lot of these characters, again, make these mistakes. And they face their consequences time and time again. And Mark Addy brings such wonderful life and death to King Robert Baratheon. There's a lot there. So this idea, this is what, talk about a different different show, a different story, a different series. He marches north, 30 days on the King's Road. Gets in there. Ned's like, hey, what's up, Bob? How you doing? It's been a while. Robert Baratheon's like, you bow to your king. We got to talk. Who? Is Jon Snow's mother. Well, you know, I've always been coy about the No, Ned. No. What happened at the Tower of Joy? What is this promise you've always said you've had to keep? Because I have spies that have let me know that we think Jon Snow is a Targaryen. We have seen Ned Stark defy Robert Baratheon before. We saw it in season one and and, and that early, that first book plot. Robert Baratheon, upset of a Targaryen girl over in the east. Um, We've seen that. We've seen him say, we're going to kill her. And we've seen Ned get to the point of throwing down His hand of the king badge there, man. Walking out. Ned was going to leave. He was packing up. Oh, Baelish gets in his ears. So if Robert Baratheon comes north with an army and says, you got to tell me the truth or we got problems, brother. Does Ned Stark back down? Does Ned Stark lie? He's not going to give up Jon Snow. I, I, I see no scenario. Where where he says, you know, all right, take the kid, do do with you, do with do with him as you, as you please. It's not going to happen. Do we have Stark versus Baratheon at that point? Does they do they call the banners and hope they get there in time? Maybe the Lannister army's outside of Winterfell and you can hold it, right? Ned always said you could hold it. Greyjoy's hold it. Held it for a while, or took it at least with a small amount of men, right? They know the secrets of Winterfell. That's the Night King. It's hard to take. Ned versus Robert Baratheon in some sort of war. I don't see it happening, but it's an intriguing standoff. It is a battle of, of two stubborn, somewhat honorable, I'm looking at Robert, but Ned definitely honorable men, who are going to put a lot of things on the line for their own beliefs. Robert Baratheon, in the end, is one of the people who was right about Daenerys Targaryen, right? I mean, right. He, he, he kind of foresaw a lot of things. It's some of my favorite stuff of Robert Baratheon. It's, it's worth a study. And uh, I do believe here in a future episode, Castle Talk, with the help of the others uh, on, on the team here, we'll take a, take a deeper look at, at Robert Baratheon. But it's intriguing. Is it down in the crypts in front of Lyanna? Does Robert take him down there, have that same scene, put the feather down and say, great, great. By the way, 
I know she didn't love me. And I know what Rhaegar really did. Did he know about the annulment? I, I don't know about all that. It is interesting, though, that this, the, at least in the show world, where the annulment is kind of listed in someone's personal diary. Any person could have stumbled onto that one. Would it have directly led anyone else to Jon Snow? Nah, not necessarily. Uh, but it would have been, well, a lot of clues leading them back to Winterfell. So, I don't have the answer. Billy, I want you to call back with your answer. But I love this idea. The Lannister and Baratheon army marches north. They stand at the gates of Winterfell, and King Robert Baratheon stands in front, not beside, in front, very much in front of his brother. Brother by heart, not so much blood. Brother by life, Ned Stark. What does Ned do? He's not the groveling type. He faces death. What does he do? What do you think he does? Let's talk about that. Billy, great call. Great thought starter. All these calls are great, and I don't have the answers, which is why I love these what-if scenarios. So we're going to take a little break. But the other side of the break, we got some uh, other calls coming in here. It's Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsuck. You, you guys are all great. We'll see you on the other side. Here on Casterly Talk, I'm Cat Napsock. Looking very much forward to talking Game of Thrones with uh, the rest of our friends here on the show, like Andres Cabrera, Lon Harris, Rachel Cushing, and of course Thomas Risling. I'm so happy you all have taken to him uh, coming on the show, uh, doing the phone call, uh, co-hosting uh, bits with me. Uh, trust me, we've all talked. Um, Rachel actually was in my house. Two feet from where this microphone is, but she had to drop something off uh, and head on out there. So we all love talking Game of Thrones. Just schedule permitting, uh, we'll make it happen. Uh, and uh, part of the fun, of course, is taking calls from you that you can uh, all do during uh, with the Anchor app. You want to reach out and leave a message, have a clear and concise point, we'll get to it here with the Anchor app. Either on your phone or the desktop, you get 59 seconds to make it happen. We're going to uh, jump in. we got some new stuff, some articles that came up recently that I think are real interesting uh, little discussion pieces. And uh, I'm going to start it all off here with a call from our friend Scribbler. Hey, Ken. Uh, this is Jeff Saunders, uh, Scribbler. And a recent episode of Casterly Talk got me thinking about something, and I have a question. Um, I'm not sure if this is a Casterly Talk question or a TNF hotline question, so feel free to use it uh, on either uh, place. But I got to thinking about um, Game of Thrones in pop culture and something that used to be really big in pop culture were the slapstick parody movies. And I'm not talking about all of them, but the ones that uh, Mel Brooks and the Zuckers put out in their prime. Do you think that there's a place uh, in pop culture today for those types of movies? And would you like to see one done of Game of Thrones and and the fantasy genre in in uh, general. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. 
right, Scribbler checking in there uh, about talking about Game of Thrones parody. I, I I know it's possible. I I like parody. I grew up liking kind of the big over the top slapsticky parodies. Big fan of like Naked Gun, Police Squad stuff, which was a which was a parody in some right Zucker Brothers stuff. I. Well, I do love uh, Mel Brooks and, and a lot of things. I, I wasn't like Spaceballs has classic moments for me. It doesn't hold up for me as much as it does for others, which is not to say it's not good, not great. And and, and you can't enjoy it. I, I just for some I remember years ago, sat down with a friend of mine. I think we pulled out the old VHS. Like, let's let's watch Spaceball. And, and it just uh, the humor, everything had, had it just didn't connect with me anymore. And Men in Tights. I like it too. Same thing. Uh, again, I, I love Blazing Saddles. Uh, I totally do believe uh, Mel Brooks is one of our all-time greats for a reason. He's considered that for a reason. So it's not that I don't love parody. I just don't know. I What was that? Danny McBride with, and Natalie Portman was in it. Gosh, who, was, who else was in it? Was uh, They did, uh, they did a, a parody of the fantasy stuff there. It seems... So ripe, but you have to be. There, the comedy stylings have changed. I think we want a more authentic comedy, and I think someone could come along and do a parody, but it has to be real special for it to work more than a sketch. More than, uh, there's a great segment on the Muppet show years ago, maybe during season two or three of, of Game of Thrones, they did a Game of Thrones parody. It was, it was a game of like musical chairs and a friend of mine sent it to me and it was like one of the best, most insightful things, uh, uh, about it. Um, one of my all time favorite parodies is the Ruddles, which is, uh, uh, Neil Innes and, uh, uh, Eric Idle from Monty Python doing their take on the Beatles. And it is, it's still one of my favorite things. And George Harrison, who appears in it, uh, was also a big fan of it and said it kind of told the story of the Beatles better than anything else. So that's a parody, but it's a, it's both very smart and very silly, as, as a lot of good parodies are. But it, it doesn't come across as a spoof. And that might be the difference. Can you do a parody of Game of Thrones? Possibly. Can you do a spoof of Game of Thrones? I don't know if it has legs anymore, but also maybe that's just me. What do you guys think? Do we want to do a see a spoof version of Game of Thrones? And not the porn version, all right? Not doing that. I do love, though, when Alt-Shift-X did that for an April Fool's joke. He did a video on the porn version of Game of Thrones. Uh, check it out. Not safe for work. Um, I love Alt-Shift-X and what, the, what he does over there. So, love that question, though, Scribbler. Thinking outside the box. Uh, we got a call. Well, we got a call. We're going to play another time. Uh, the Emmy nominations came out. Game of Thrones received a lot. Uh, Eric Monroe, Eric Monroe, excuse me, <laughs> stumbling over my words because I need uh, I need a sip of ale. Mm. Ah, that's what happens when your mouth gets sticky. Yeah, giggity, that's what she said. Anyways, um, <laughs> Eric called in as well today. Uh, his what if question, he actually called in a couple weeks ago. Today he called in about the Emmy snubs. I do want to get to that, but we'll we'll keep that for another time. And I want some other voices on there as well. Um, but I, I got some news items here. Let's read through some some stuff popped up recently here. That's interesting stuff. And Entertainment Weekly, James Hibbard uh, is seems to be their go to Game of Thrones guy right now, and he's got a couple articles out there that, that oh, that one's playing over my, uh, <laughs> that's what happens when you have your, your Roadcaster Pro plugged in. Pop-up ads will play. 
Oh, I love pop-up ads. A um, couple little things here. Uh, you may have seen some of this making the rounds. Let's discuss it here. George R. R. Martin said that uh, none of the outspoken reactions, positive or negative, will change anything he's planned for his final two A Song of Ice and Fire novels. I'm reading that directly from James Hibbard's words in Entertainment Weekly. Reprinted, reset, rebroadcasted without permission. My apologies, please. Uh, Martin says uh, the internet affects all this to agree and it has never affected before. We know he went on the Maltons podcast uh, with Leonard and Jesse Malton lately and talked about the madness that's out there. And I totally agree, not just in Game of Thrones, but in Star Wars and a lot of other fandoms. It is just madness at times. Uh, to me. Maybe it's not to you, but it is to me. He talks about, and we've talked about this on the show before. We've had this great prompt and a call and this idea that when he started writing the books in the 90s, things were different. And he could probably trick more people uh, with the Jon Snow parentage. And at some point, it starts to get discovered, you know, even in the old-fashioned days, but it, it, it catches more fire nowadays. He says, um... Before the internet, only one reader in 100 put it together. Before the internet, that was fine, he says. For readers, 99 out of 100. When Jon Snow's parentage is revealed, it would be, oh, that's a great twist. Um, now, he says, with the internet, if that one person out of the 100 gets it and posts that theory online, the other 99 people go, oh, that makes sense. And as George says, George R. Martin's words, suddenly the twist you're building towards is out there and there's a temptation to change it in the upcoming books. But uh, he says that's wrong because you've been planning a certain ending. If you suddenly change your reckoning just because somebody figured it out, because they don't like it, then it screws up the whole structure. So no, I don't read the fan sites and he's talked very much before. You can find YouTube interviews. George R. R. Martin talking about how he absolutely does not read fan theories, does not uh, check in on the comments, doesn't, uh, he can't. Um, he can't get any of that in his head, a lot of times for legal reasons, uh, but also just he has a direction. So I think that's very interesting. Um, addressing some of the things we've talked about before, uh, and uh, he goes on to say that watching the final season uh, was a different experience. The whole last three years have been strange since the show got ahead of the books. Uh, and yes, I told the showrunners a number of things years ago, and some of them they did do, but at the same time, it's different. I have very fixed I- ideas in my head as, a, as I'm writing when the wind's a winner beyond that in terms of where things are going. It's like two alternate realities existing side by side. I have to double down and do my version of it, which is what I've been doing. So it goes on to talk about, you can read the whole article. I don't want to give it all away. He uh, he talks about uh, the uh, peer pressure to finish the books. Interesting stuff there. Again, James Hibbert's kind of the entertainment weekly Game of Thrones uh, uh, voice right now and, and, and good stuff. And again, nothing, nothing surprising, but I, I like that George was coming out and kind of saying this. No, don't worry, because I, 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 a lot of people... I saw some successful author uh, tweet out. Uh, he clearly, this author did not like season eight, as is your want as a, as a human. I was like, oh, good, good idea, George. Hang back, let them show you how to do the show wrong, and then write uh, the ending that you want. Or uh, suggesting that George is kind of doing this on purpose. And I, 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 and it's fun. It's a fun little theory. It's a fun thing to kind of think. Ah, oh, George is in the corner giggling out there in Santa Fe, going, ah, I'm going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to show them how to do it. And I do think there at some point, uh, from my point of view, there was, there's, uh, there's been always kind of a weird relationship with the show and the books between George and them, especially in the later season. It seems like a couple times he distanced himself other times, but lately, especially with the Emmy noms, he was right on there tweeting his, his support and his congratulations. And he had a say in a lot of this, especially early on, wrote some great episodes as we know. So I, uh, 
I, I, I believe a lot of what George R. Martin says. Uh, it's fun to get these tantalizing, tasty little rumors, but it's kind of like George says. Someone posted online and says, you know what, I think George is holding back the books, and I'm not even talking about the Ian McElhinney interview, but George is holding back the books, and we can speculate, and I've speculated on that. I've thought, there's gotta, it, it just makes sense that he would want the show to end and then get his stories out, right? I, it does make sense to me. And so even if I say it on this little podcast here, uh, 99 of you can hear it, and then you tell your friends, and the next thing you know, it becomes fact. And I, I love when George kind of clears some of the stuff up. And speaking of clearing things up, also in Entertainment Weekly, uh, Brand Stark himself, actor Isaac Hempstead White, revealed in a new HBO behind-the-scenes interview, and this is, uh, this is interesting, said uh, uh, David and Dan told me there were two things George R. Martin had planned for Brand, and it was the Hodo revelation, and we know George Martin has said that it's, it's the same in the books, but you get there in a different way. And that he, Bran, would be king. So it's pretty special to be directly involved in something as part of George's vision, and it was a really nice way to wrap it up. So there it is. We could end the speculation on that particular thing. I still think uh, because of this, this leads a lot of credence to the idea of of everything that goes down with Danny and John. And when I say everything, all right, let's say 90% range. Uh, that a lot of it will follow in line with George's stories. Again, it's always going to be different, right? Um, I, I think, I think uh, uh, the Hodor is a great example of that's the reveal. I think Hodor is hold the door in the books as well. Um, but the details, not just the surface details, like Hodor's, you know, actual name is, is different. Uh, I think already we know that's different in the books. Um, but maybe it happens at a different time. We know, you know, this, you know, Jojen Reed is, would be alive possibly even this scene. So maybe he factors into it. Maybe that's when Jojen dies. Um, so I'm fascinated to see that, but I love that it goes in the same direction. So I, I, I don't necessarily want to know what is just a checklist of, Dan and David's ideas, George Martin's ideas. I, I don't necessarily want that. But this this one makes a lot of sense. It, it makes a, a sense to a lot of us here at Casterly Talk. Brand being king, even though it did come out of left field, and we've been talking about that here in Casterly Talk, came out of left field for me. It makes sense about someone who, the best choice to rule someone who doesn't want it. And that Tyrion kind of gets a hand of the king thing as both a reward and, and a kind of a punishment, at least from my point of view. Uh, I think that's fascinating. I think that's really interesting and shows that a lot of decisions made in season eight maybe, you know, weren't as wild or silly as you thought, though you definitely have that right to think it. And speaking of fans' reactions to season eight, we know it was, you know, testy, passionate. And recently at Con of Thrones, we talked about Con of Thrones last week. I got to get out to one of those. Mark from Mark Talk, I hope you represented us well. Call us with a follow-up. Let us uh, know some of the fun things you got to experience at Con of Thrones. Uh, Nicolaj Custer Waldo was there, Jamie Lannister himself. And he was speaking in a Q&A panel. It's great that he showed up. 
I, I, I don't I don't know much about Con of Thrones, so I don't know. I know it's smaller, but I don't know what it, who it attracts and what it attracts and what, what goes on there. So, again, uh, our friend Mark from Mark Talk, who calls in the show a lot here. Uh, you listen to a show, Mark Talk on Anchor. Uh, he was out there, so please uh, let us know. I believe it was out in Nashville, right? So uh, this is what uh, Jamie Lannister himself said. Coster Waldo said... Um, that uh, every season has been intense in terms of the attention and discussion, but it was extraordinarily intense for a final season. And we have this WhatsApp group, the actors, and I saw some people getting a little upset. He's not naming names because of some of this, because some of the stuff is vicious. And if you make the mistake of start reading all that shit, uh, because if it gets you gets you really angry about something, I'm sure you did. Some of you, he's probably just in the crowd there. So you write to each other as actors, and you and you go, uh, "Fucking assholes! This is not what would happen." They, they ruined, they butchered George R. R. Martin's world. Just fun for you. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm re- I read that wrong. That, he's saying that's what the fans are saying. So you write each other and go, F and assholes. Uh, so this is so not what would happen. They ruined, they butchered George R. R. Martin's world. And Nikolaj adds, adds, adds this. It's just fun for you, but of course some got a little upset. That referring to the actor. Sorry, I re- read that wrong there. And he says this. Uh, there was a feeling, there was a kind of weird feeling of, what the hell? We work so hard. And he says, I'm not asking anyone to feel sorry, by the way. That's what I'm saying. It's just how it was to get through the whole thing. And then he defends David and Dan, Benioff and Weiss, saying, for anyone to imagine or to think that the two creators of the show are not the most passionate, the greatest, the most invested of all, and to for a second think they didn't spend the last 10 years thinking how they were going to end it is kind of silly. And also know that they, too, read the comments, even though you sit on your own and go, fucking stupid writers, assholes. They really, like everyone on Game of Thrones, every single person, and there are thousands, we worked our asses off to make the best show we could for the ending. So interesting comments there, passionate comments. Uh, and, and I love actually hearing those. I love reading those comments. Uh, it makes me feel even better about um, season eight. Uh, but again, you don't, like he says, no one's, he's not asking anyone to... Feel sorry for you, uh, and and you cannot like things. You know what I mean? In the Star Wars world, uh, there's a really great dude that writes. He wrote a lot of Legends novels. His name's Jonathan Jackson Miller. He wrote the first book out of the new canon era of Disney Star Wars, and a new dawn, and it introduced us to Hera and and Kanan. And, uh, uh, and got us set up for Star Wars Rebels animated series. And it was the first book out. It was like Comic Con. 2014, and uh, this was it, right? The April 20, April 20, uh, 2014, they announced uh, the you know, new Disney, Disney canon and what was in it, what was not, and this was the first one out of the gate, and it sounded great, a new dawn, the start of the formation of the rebellion, and it wasn't that, and, and, and I didn't like it, and I was very vocal about it in the old show I did with Mod Garrett, Jedi Alliance, taking shots at and everything, and I wish I didn't do it in that way. I've learned so much since then because I, I've seen this guy on Twitter. I've seen him at events, and he's such a good dude, and he's a Star Wars fan. I wish I, I, I vocalized my dislike of that book, which, by the way, not only did it have great stuff with Hera and Kanan that I want to kind of reread, it introduced the character of Ray Sloan, then Captain Ray Sloan, uh, who goes on, thanks a lot to uh, Wendeg's work with the character in Aftermath, goes on and becomes one of my favorite characters. And it's kind of the way I view fandoms uh, and, and the properties that I read and watch and enjoy. I, I treat it all, you've heard me say before, I treat it all as this real living story. So that way, I may not like some of the things in this book I read, but what does it give me as a Star Wars fan? What does it put into the Star Wars universe? What kind of questions does it create? And it's fun to answer those questions. 
I think sometimes we hear the questions and we get upset and it's a plot point and it's a sin and we don't like it now. Uh, so to hear, uh, you know, the man behind Jamie Lannister gets so passionate, it does not mean that you can't dislike a lot of the things. Even knowing that Bran was uh, going to be king as, as, as a part of George R. R. Martin's story, if, if that is 100% true, and I do believe Isaac Hempstead White saying it, especially on an HBO behind the, things, behind the scenes thing, you could still not like that. You could disagree with George's decision. I view it as being passionate about the story. So if, if you're upset about Bran being king, I and I was confused by that, I don't like throwing the heap on the creators because they're people, they made a choice. I have a lot more fun going, well, that's a weird decision by the people in that universe, in this land, in Westeros. What does it mean about them? What does it say? Again, it doesn't mean all the writing's perfect, but I love this defense of the people that make this show and the silly ideas, especially going to, say, Star Wars. I don't want to keep bringing it in, but the idea that suddenly, and, and I'm not, these are not trollish people, too. They're not. There's lo- some of them are, but there's people I know. Suddenly, it's like suddenly they're now the experts on writing, and they may have written a lot of things, but suddenly they are now the experts on writing, and David and Dan have no skills. They stumbled into this. HBO gave them all this money. It was dumb effing luck that it even worked, and they're stupid. I've had, or I I can't say I've had those conversations. I've listened silently and just nodded to walk away from these people because it's silly. It is absolutely silly. You can get wrapped up in loving the show and being hurt by the show. It's what we talked about. Remember, Rachel Rachel on the show was really upset at Jamie Lannister. And the things that Jamie Lannister did, and her initial focus was on the show, the creators. And and I loved her passion about this because in the end, I feel as though she was hurt. And she's someone I think finds herself, and Brianna, I don't want to speak for Rachel, but, but you know, finds herself in Brianna Tarth, that she was hurt for Brianna. She was hurt for herself. She was hurt by Jamie. She was upset by Jamie. And I love that. And I don't want Rachel to, to back off on that ever, but I love that she kind of comes around to this point of, I am upset at Jamie Lannister, which is awesome to be that invested in this show. So don't forget, there are people that make it. This is the world we live in. It's like it's like if you got a bad review of a book and you feel compelled to tweet out your hateful words about the book, why tag the author? We are in this different era. George is now in a different era, era writing a Song of Ice and Fire because back then he could sneak things in. Now there's chat rooms and Twitter and everything, and he has to go to his uh, live journal, the last working live journal in the world, and say, no, 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 no. Don't believe all this hype. That's what I... I love about this too, and think we need to remember the Dan and Dave's, the, the Ryan Johnsons of the world. You may hate the Last Jedi with every passion of your fiber, ever, ever, ever fiber of your being. I love it, and I'll defend it, and I'll die on that hill. But to honestly think that they intentionally went out to submarine something, to actually think that Dan, David and Dan just decided to just crap all over the show that they. They loved, and 10 years is like a, it's a conservative estimate in amount of time. And you know, I just read right now, they're, they're, def- they're not going to Comic-Con this year for the big 
uh, reunion panel that uh, that's going on. Uh, again, we're recording this before Comic-Con. And quite frankly, why would they? Why would they? I'm sure they're going to walk down the street trying to get to the panel. There'll be people around them, security people, whatever. I'm sure people yell at them and everything. You just, it takes away the fun. It takes away the fun. I totally love uh, Nikolaj Koster, Waldo's words here. Again, doesn't mean you can't like, or it doesn't mean you have to like everything about it. You don't always have to be like, well, I hated that, but hey, people made it. But it's like I heard someone say before, movies do go bad. Movies do go bad for a lot of reasons. Shows can go bad for a lot of reasons, a lot of business reasons. Um, but uh, the, the thought that uh, everyone on that set doesn't care insanely about these projects, that is ludicrous. That is ludicrous. So uh, love that. Good way to close the show out, I think. Uh, hearing from an actor himself uh, on about all... Uh, all things, uh, all opinions on Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm going to get to that kind of Thrones. But right now, I'll probably, uh, if you're listening to this, I'm probably uh, heading downtown San Diego to go uh, tend to something here in the con. So we're going to do that. Been a lot of fun. If you have another what if, if you have some answers to some, some of the questions we uh, talked about here and some follow-ups, uh, what if Joffrey wasn't poisoned? What do you think about Tywin and, and Baelish? What do they know? Stuff about Robert Baratheon. You know the drill. Contact us here. On Anchor, you can follow me at Ken Knapsack. Go to KenNapsack.com to get information on all my shows, including where to buy my book, Why We Love Star Wars, and use the hashtag CasterlyTalk when reaching out and talking to me and the rest of the folks here at Casterly Talk. We are out of here this week. Valor Morghulis, which means all theories must die, I think. This has been Casterly Talk. <laughs>